Good morning, Encounter. Welcome to Open House Sunday once again. And today we're going to be continuing our series called Reclaim. And today we're going to be focusing on reclaiming God's power. And this might take a, a, a different turn than you're expecting when you hear the word power. We often associate the word power with um, something like an explosion or maybe somebody like a bodybuilder, somebody who's strong and powerful or a king or someone with a lot of money or clout or fame, somebody with a lot of influence, somebody who is powerful may invoke a lot of different pictures in our mind. But as we turn to the scripture today, we'll realize what reclaiming God's power really looks like. And God's definition of power is quite different than perhaps our definition of power. So we're gonna have to keep that in mind as we turn to the scriptures. But before we do, let's say a word of prayer. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I thank you, God, that you are at work in each person here and you have been at work before they even logged in online today. And God, I just pray that we would have a sense of where you're working in us and where you want to. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Let us sense and know your presence. Let us hear from you today, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. So today my passage is from 2 Corinthians 12. We're gonna be starting at verse two. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think of me more than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Have you ever had a bad day that kind of rolled into a bad week? That then rolled into a bad month? That then rolled into a bad year? Perhaps two bad years of a pandemic? And we can all relate on some level to Paul here. Paul has had not just a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad two years. Paul had a difficult 14 years, we see, um, in this context. And so when Paul's saying he's dealing with weaknesses. When Paul's saying he's dealing with difficulties and persecutions and trials, he's not speaking theoretically. He's not speaking merely theologically or something he read in a book once. He's really speaking from his own personal experience. He has lived 
this scripture before he ever wrote it. But we see in 2 Corinthians 11, the chapter right before this, Paul goes into more depth about what these experiences are that he's had. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 30, just to give us a broader view or understanding of the context from which Paul is writing when he says, I'm facing weaknesses and difficulties and trials. And so he, he's being accused here in the context by others who say, we're super apostles, we're amazing. Uh, God chose us, but God didn't cho choose you, Paul. And they're boasting about their spiritual resume that made them these wonderful servants of Christ. And Paul's addressing this directly in his letter to the uh, Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. There's a theme there, it's, it's danger. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. We see Paul here. He's dealing with what I'm going to call the first D of this sermon, discouragement. He's dealing with all of these circumstances that in any natural uh, realm whatsoever would be so discouraging to a human being. Circumstances and storms, literal storms that he's being shipwrecked by. He's being flogged. He's being abused in Ev's known poverty, coldness, nakedness. He has no place to rest his head. He has no security financially, no security um, socially here. There's so many things that are outside of his control. These pressures outside, these pressures inside where he's concerned about the people that are in these churches and how they're living and the sin they're falling into and the, the way the church is going. And there's so many things that are pressuring and crushing from the inside and the outside for Paul here. And yet we see, he said, I will boast so gladly about my weaknesses. Why? He will boast about these discouragements. He will boast about these deficiencies. He will boast about these weaknesses because it's in these insults, these hardships, these persecutions, these calamities, and through these crises that he has realized that God's power will rest on him because his trust is not in Paul's power. His trust is not in his intelligence. His trust is not in his strength. His trust is in the Lord and that God's grace is sufficient for him. And so we see here, God has given him these great revelations. God has given him these abilities to see things in the heavenlies that he's not even permitted to talk about. 
what happens is the result is not, wow, his life is super easy. (laughs) Wow, he has everything all together. You know, there's a terrible strain of (laughs) the gospel, which is not the true gospel, called the prosperity gospel today that says, okay, if you follow God, if, if you do everything right on this checklist, then God is obligated to bless you materially or bless you financially. You're gonna have a bigger house. You're gonna have an easy life. You're gonna be happy all the time. And that is just not the truth of the gospel that we see. It's not the, not the truth that Jesus lived out. It's not the truth that Paul is living out here. And when we look at this passage in second Corinthians, we see that these revelations, these visions from God that he was having, this connection and relationship he had with God did not result in an easier life on earth. Rather, we see what is sent to him. It says is a messenger of Satan to torment him. This thorn in the flesh that he calls it. And so when we look at the word thorn in Greek, now we might think of a thorn like, you know, a rose thorn. Oh, that's not a big deal, Paul. Just a little tiny prick. Not, not a big deal. What, why are you complaining about this thorn? Actually, in Greek, this word is scoopos. And this word actually means a stake, a sharp splinter, a pointed piece of wood. And I guess the only thing that comes to my mind is those cartoons where they're trying to kill the vampire and there's a stake with the pointed pointed wood at the end. Like this is things, this thing's big. It's not, it's not tiny and, and minuscule. This is a large stake. Now imagine somebody took that stake and put it through your arm. You would feel a lot of pain. Actually, every time you reached out to grab something or to do something, you would be reminded of this pain. It would make everything harder. I don't know, even if you stub your tiny pinky toe, the tiniest of toes, it makes your whole body slow down and wrench in pain. He has, he says, I have this thorn in my flesh. I have this, this stake in me, this pain. And the commentators, they don't, not sure exactly what what this thorn was. What was it? Well, it could have been a physical thing. Some commentators think maybe he had uh, epilepsy. We know from other scriptures that he had quote unquote weak eyes. So maybe he was going blind. He couldn't see. This could also be referenced to some of the relational issues he was dealing with. These accusations or a spiritual attack, maybe anxiety or depression, or we're not sure. And I think it's on purpose that God obscures for us what this thorn in the flesh that Paul experienced was. Because now we can read this and say, you know what? What's my thorn in the flesh? We don't know what Paul's was. We can say, what is the thing in me that I come to God over and over and say, God, just take this away. Take this away. Take away this anxiety. Take away this depression. Take away this relational issue. Take it away. Make everything smooth and easy and better. God, grow this. My finances, God, this is a thorn for me. Whatever that area may be, a relationship um, with a, with a friend or a family member that's always dysfunctional or disgruntled. It could be somebody in your job who just constantly is bothering you and you can't seem to get away with it. Losing favor from your boss for no reason that of your own that you did. These different difficulties, these different crises, these different things that constantly come up and up and up and up and up in our life. Paul had his own thorn. We don't know what it is, but he calls it a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now this word um, torment is the word kolafizo in Greek. And it literally means to strike with a fist, to give a blow. If you picture um, a boxer (laughs) in the ring and that boxer just getting 
beaten up by this bigger guy. And he, every time he falls down, he tries to get back up, but he's just, his face is becoming more and more disfigured by this. This is the, the picture in Greek of this messenger of Satan tormenting him. It's like every time Paul starts to make progress or he starts to get up again, it's just, he's getting pounded by this messenger of Satan. He's getting beat up. And I love how Tim Keller talks about this. Oh, Satan attaches a message to the thorn. You have to look at a problem that comes into your life and you have to say there is a message from Satan in this and there's a message from God. And my discouragement or my strengthening will depend on which message I listen to. Almost like it's kind of like getting an email. (laughs) And that email has two documents. And one you could open that's from Satan. Those are the lies you don't want to listen to. And one is from God. And that's the truth from the same email. So in this weakness, in this trial, in this crisis, in this, um, this illness, in this, whatever it is you're dealing with, there's two messages we can take away from those circumstances. There's two messages we can take away from that pain, that pressure. One is give up. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. Give up. If God loved you, he wouldn't allow this in your life. If God loved you, everything would work out perfectly. So he must not love you. That's the messenger of Satan. The discouragement, the defeat, the the anger, the anxiety, those desolations. And then we can look at the same set of circumstances that Paul lists here. All the things he's gone through, all the things he's experienced, all the pain he's, he's, he's going through. And there's a message from God there. And that message is my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. What if reclaiming God's power meant listening to God's message? Not listening to the discouragement and the despondency that tries to overwhelm us. But listening to the voice of God. Saying, God, in these circumstances that I don't understand, that I would not have chosen for myself. What is it you're speaking to me? What is it you want to teach me, God? Where are you, God? And crying out, even like the psalmist did over and over in in the Psalms, as if you read them, he goes often from, how come I see the wicked? They're they're thriving and they're, they're prospering. But those who love you, God, they're not doing so well. Where are you in this, God? And there's often these Psalms of lament. There's psalms of anger. We're allowed to express our emotions about the thorn, (laughs) our disappointment, our pain, our struggle. Paul does it here. But he says, I will boast about my weaknesses. Why? Because attached to this weakness is a message from God. And God's grace is enough. So we see this, this drives us to the next point. So if there's this discouragement surrounding this thorn in the flesh, then there's a dependency. It drives Paul to be dependent on God. His grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. His power is perfected in our weaknesses. And this word weakness here in this passage is the word osthenia. And this literally means a want of strength, a weakness, an infirmity, almost like a sickness. If you've ever been sick and you had a fever and you just can't get out of bed, you're kind of delirious, you know what this means. Your whole body is weak and you can't get up, you can't move. And this and this word, this weakness that he's boasting about, it's his inability to face the trials. It's his, it's his lack of power 
Paul in himself to face the trials, to meet the trials, to do what he needs to do to keep progressing for the gospel. He cannot do it in himself. And he recognizes he is weak, but God is strong. And then it was interesting about this word, this word weakness, this austenia is, is very closely related to the word anesthesia. <laughs> it, it's basically, they're basically cousins of each other, these two words. Basically the picture we're dealing with here of weakness. If you think about a person under um, anesthesia and they're, they're, they're out cold, <laughs> that, that is an ultimate picture of vulnerability and weakness. Someone going in for surgery, they breathe in that the gas and they're just at complete vulnerability of that their physician. They're expecting them to do a good work in them while they're completely out, while they're incapable of controlling the situation. And that's um, a moment of ultimate trust saying, you know what? I entrust myself to this medical crew. I entrust myself to this doctor because I believe that when I'm weak, I'll be becoming stronger. They're going to be doing, you know, a, a repair, a work in the weakness in my body so that when I come out of this surgery, I will be stronger and able to go forward. And so this depend, this weakness drives us to depend on God. It drives us to trust him. It's this ultimate vulnerability, like being under an anesthetic and God, the great physician, performing his surgery on our heart, on our life. Do we trust him? Do we know that his grace is sufficient for us? I like how the message um, frames this verse, 2 Corinthians 12, um, that we're looking at here, verses 7 to 10. The message puts it like this. Because of the extravagance of these revelations, so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he did, in fact, was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and I begged God to remove it. I love this phrase. What he, in fact, did was push me to my knees. This weakness, this thorn in the flesh, this this tormentor of Satan pushed Paul to his knees. It made him dependent on God. It made it call him call on God. When you are dealing with something that just won't go away, a pain, a problem, a relationship, a dysfunction, maybe your mind just is filled with thoughts that you can't just you can't control. They won't go away. Thoughts that demean you or thoughts that put you down and say, you'll never amount to anything. You won't do anything good. Those tapes from your past, those lies that attack our minds, those, those circumstances that attack our families, that attack our lives. Does it push us to our knees? Does it draw us closer to God? Does it help us to recognize, hey, God, this is bigger than me. I cannot push through this. <laughs> I cannot overcome this in myself, though I might try. I need you, God. Do we come to the place of prayer? Do we reclaim the power of God by recognizing our weakness is our greatest strength? Because our weakness reminds us that we are not meant to do this on our own. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing good. Why would we try to do anything apart from him? And yet we try, don't we? We try to do everything apart from him sometimes. And sometimes prayer becomes that last resort, that last thing we do when we just can't hang on anymore. 
What is the thorn in your flesh today? Is it pushing you to your knees? In Isaiah, we see the prophet Isaiah talking to God's people on his behalf, to Israel who was complaining that God didn't see the troubles that they were going through, that God didn't care. And this is what Isaiah says on behalf of God. Israel, why then do you complain that the Lord doesn't know your troubles or care if you suffer injustice? Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He created all the world. He never grows tired or weary, and no one understands his thoughts. He strengthens those who are weak and tired. Even those who are young grow weak, and young people can fall exhausted. But those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. They will rise on wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not grow weak. Those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. What is this word trust or in other translations, hope? Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those who trust in the Lord. This is the word kava. It's to wait, to look eagerly for. Have you ever been at a restaurant and you've you kind of ordered off your menu and you're waiting <laughs> for the food to come and you're engaging in conversation, but you're getting more hungry as time goes on and you see a waiter and they're bringing what looks like what you ordered nearby and then all of a sudden they kind of do a fake. <laughs> they come to your table and they're gone and it really wasn't, it wasn't your meal yet. This word kava is to wait and to look eagerly. Like you're looking at that waiter and be like, is that our food? Is it coming? I'm excited. Is it coming? No, not yet. And keep looking and keep waiting and keep watching Do we keep trusting God? Do we keep looking and waiting and watching? Because we know he will appear with our portion. We know he will arrive with our rescue. We know that his power is enough and we can rely on it. We can rely on God to show up in these situations, to show up when we've run out of money, when we've run out of strength, when we've run out of courage, when we've run out of love, when we have run out. God never runs out. This word kava also has another metaphor attached to it, as Hebrew often does, and it's the making of rope. So in the ancient world, how they made rope is they would take hundreds of strands of fabric and they would bind those strands one to another, one to another until it becomes unbreakable. So one little strand you could break quite easily, but once these strands are braided together, it becomes a strong rope. It becomes unbreakable. And when we... (laughs) Are, are braided together with God, when we are united together with him in prayer, when we are united together with him in trust, when we allow ourselves to cling to God, to trust in God, to hope in God, to put all that we need and all that we have want of into God's hands, when we allow God to draw close to us as we draw close to him, we become like this rope where we're braided in and we become stronger. And this is where power is found. God is calling us because this this passage really transliterates to the grace of me is sufficient for you. It is his presence that is the grace. It is his personhood that is the grace. It is in Christ Jesus that we find this sufficient grace, this more than enough grace for whatever we're going through. It is him who is the power that we need. It is not just this external thing that we're going to magically wait to fall upon us. No, it is Christ Jesus himself. It is God himself. 
And this brings us to um, our third and final point. So we have first the discouragement that Paul experienced, the dependency it pushed him to. And now this word is dunamis. This is the Greek word for power. It is the power that Paul experiences as he is drawn to his knees, as he is drawn in dependency, as he brings all his weaknesses before God and finds God's grace sufficient, more than enough for all he needs. And so his power is perfected here. This is the word dunamis, this word for power, is where the word dynamite really comes from. And if you think about dynamite, you do think about explosions often, and it's powerful. It can clear land. It can clear buildings. It, it can make new space to recreate things, clearing old things that don't belong anymore, clearing away clutter, clearing away obstacles to new vision and to new ideas. This power, this dunamis is what is made perfect. And when we think about this word dunamis, <laughs> this perfected power, this word perfected is actually that same, that same kind of phrase or word that Jesus used on the cross when he was dying. And he said, it is finished. It is perfected. It is done. When, it, when the Lord comes to Paul and says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. My power is finished. My power is, is all-encompassing in your weakness. In other words, we cannot add anything to God's power or to God's strength. It's not like I have a cup and it's already full to the brim and God puts the last two drops in and it's like, okay, thanks for those last two drops, God, but I got this. No, our cup is empty and it is God that has to pour himself into us. We are that empty cup. We have nothing to offer him and we need all that he is and he is more than enough. It's like a cup overflowing with his presence, with life, with power, with hope, with all that we need for life and godliness. He provides that when we trust in him, when we hope in him. We see in Jesus's life, how does he come to the earth? Well, the king of kings does not come as a king. He comes as an innocent baby. He comes as a baby who is born into a stable <laughs> um, and born in such a vulnerable way. He's born as a baby who is being sought by an actual king who wants to kill all the babies under, under two years old because he's looking for Jesus. And if God himself comes to earth in, in what appears to be weakness and vulnerability, but this is God's strength on display. We see as this baby grows up, who is Jesus, you know, as, as he's this moment of greatest power, greatest strength begins in a garden the Garden of Gethsemane. And we just talked about this at Easter time recently, but Jesus is seen there and he's praying and he's, he's saying, God, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. In this moment of weakness, Jesus is having so much pressure, so much anxiety from outside, from inside that he's sweating drops of blood. See, weakness is not a sin. It is not a sin to have human weakness. It is not a sin to sweat the small stuff or sweat the big stuff. Jesus was sweating drops of blood at the prospect of what the father was asking him to do at what was to come. And so he experienced that in his flesh, in his humanity. And sometimes, you know what? We find ourselves in those situations where God's calling us to make a change or to, to, um, to let go of a job 
or of a relationship or of something else or someone else we put our security in other than him. And those things can make us sweat. Those things can make us fearful. God, I'm not sure I'm up to the task. I'm not sure I can do that. I don't feel strong enough for that. I don't have enough for that. And God says to us, I am enough. If God is asking you to obey him, he is provided more than enough. He is more than enough for us to follow through with that. And so we see Jesus in the garden, sweating, drops of blood, and yet in his weakness, he is strong and strengthened to say, not my will, but your will be done. And then he goes through this horrific experience of being flogged and the, the crown of thorns in his head and, and ultimately crucified on a cross, one of the most cruel and sadistic ways to die. And in that moment, there is no one who appears weaker than Jesus. He's stripped completely naked, humiliated before all on a cross, flogged and beaten, hand, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, a crown of thorns on his head, surrounded by people who are mocking and laughing and saying, you called yourself a king. You called your, call on Elijah, he'll save you. Call on the angels, they'll come, like, you know, you're, yeah, right, you're a king. He's being mocked. His identity is being mocked. This is a moment of great weakness. He's even saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? He is weak, feeling weak spiritually, physically, emotionally. He has to see his, his mom watch him die. Like, oh my goodness. They talk about a moment of great weakness. The powers of hell are probably mocking and laughing along with the people, the Roman soldiers, the Jews who, who said, we've won, we've gotten rid of this blasphemer. And it looks like the powers of hell have won. And yet, in this moment of greatest weakness was Christ's moment of greatest power because it was through that sacrifice on the cross that we have been made right with God. It is, it is what he has done. It is his sacrifice. It is his blood shed that has purchased our pardon, that has purchased our freedom. Christ's weakness is the ultimate source of our power because he has taken the wages of sin, which is death, so that we can live life forever with God. So when we think of our moments of greatest weakness, you know, if we look at the tomb, the tomb was, okay, now Jesus is, he's dead. He's in the tomb. The disciples are thinking, this is, this is the end. This is the end of all that we believed and all that we trusted in. And we have, many of them betrayed him, including Peter. And this is the end. They've given up. This is the three days of weakness. Jesus' body in the tomb, it's all over. How could he be the Messiah and die and, and leave us here with nothing? And yet three days later, we see the resurrection. God's power comes out of weakness. These moments of great weakness, God's church is then birthed as a result of these weak men and women. <laughs> Unschooled, ordinary men, but they took note they had been with Jesus, the book of Acts says, of the disciples. So we see weak men and weak women that God uses and he fills with his power. And we see Jesus himself in these moments that appear in the natural to be moments of great weakness that God uses for his great glory, that God uses to display his power. And we're here today because of the display of power, because Jesus trusted the Father enough to walk through weakness in order that God's power might be put on display. What 
is your weakness today? What is the thorn in your flesh? That thing that you feel acutely aware of at all times. Maybe it's a circumstance or a crisis, or maybe it's an internal reality that no one else is privy to. We all have these weaknesses. Let's bring them to God in prayer. Let's surrender them to the Lord like Paul did. He, he, he said, God, take this from me three times. And yet, what did he hear in response? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. And Paul's response to this, it says, I will gladly therefore boast about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Christ's power may dwell on me. So when people look at my life, they're not seeing, wow, Paul, you're so amazing. Wow, Paul, you've done this and this and this and this for God. Although he had. No, but Paul, wow, look at what God has done in your life. None of us is perfect. None of us has it all together. All of us are subject to the same sort of weaknesses and crises and trials that being part of a broken world entail. But they can be used for God's glory. Those are the cracks in our pot. <laughs> Paul talks about we have this treasure in jars of clay. Many of our jars are cracked and blemished, but that's where the light breaks through, through those cracks and blemishes. How does God want to glorify himself through your life, through my life today? Will we submit our weaknesses to God and say, God, I will delight in my weakness today because God, I ask that your power and your strength reside on me. I will allow it to push me to my knees, to a place of dependency on you and realize it's not in me. It is all in you, God. Thank you, God, for my weakness. Though I would not have chosen it, I choose to see this now as a gift because it will draw me closer to you. Let's pray. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray today that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear your message through the thorns in our life, through the points of pain in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships, that God, you are at work even in those things that are so, seem so weak, that God, you will show yourself strong, show yourself strong through each of us today. Open our eyes to the places where we need to submit, where we need to surrender to you, those places of weakness, so that your power may be reclaimed. In your name we pray, amen.